right, Father Jonathan, we're almost there. We are so close. Fifth Sunday of Lent. That's right. That's right. I think uh, as we record, uh, we are just two weeks away from, what is it, Palm Sunday? So this is the last Sunday that's not like get a free thing at Mass Sunday. Say, say more about that. Well, no, I always joke around with people because some people will say that a lot of people come when they get free stuff. So like you get ashes or oh. when you get a palm, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It's true. It's true. But no, I'm just joking. I mean, Easter is the day that salvation has come to us all. That's right. That's right. And a, <laughs> that's a that's a pretty big something. That's right. And a lot of people will come that day. <laughs> and yeah, so, a lot of people do come that day. So anyway, so we have a fifth Sunday coming up and then we'll be doing the Passion readings. Um yeah, so anyway, before we jump into that, how about this fourth Sunday? What uh, what do you got? Did you get to go to Mass yet? No. So here's the funny thing. I am now a fully vaccinated COVID person. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, that kind of got away yeah. from me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I am presently in convalescence. Oh, I see. <laughs> for the vaccine. I see, I see. Uh, so I even had to leave the retreat that I was helping out with a little mm-hmm. early. Womp womp, just because it was, yeah, it was taking a toll, and I didn't want to have to worry about driving today. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so, I will do my typical, unfortunately, private mass here in a little while. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, which is all to say, I have not heard a homily. Oh. Well, I uh, just published mine on the YouTubes for today, so you can listen to that if you'd like. Um, I'll... Although it is in Spanish, so maybe oh. you won't understand any of it. Ah. But I think you you might understand ah. some of it. You've you've studied Spanish. How enough. dare you? <laughs> um, I got to tell you, I was really happy with this homily. For as insecure as I was last week about my homily, uh, mm-hmm. today I felt pretty good about it. Um, it was one of those where I felt like you know, I I think I said what I needed to say. Um, par- partly because wh- while I was preparing for this on my way to church, I was thinking. I was praying, actually. I was saying, Jesus, what do you need your people to hear today? Like, what's what's the message that you want for your people? And I heard it clear as day. Like, I want you to talk to my people about being exiled, you know, and and what it's like to experience exile and then a desire for a desire to be brought back home, you know, kind of what we talked about last week uh, a little bit. And so I did that. And I think what was a really good uh, connection for me in my homily was connecting the the word that was used in the in the first reading was cyrus's proclamation and so i connected that to the uh-huh. proclamation of the incarnation in john's gospel like the good news that the son of god will be yeah. made man for the for our sake like that's proclamation and so how we who are in exile are brought into the homeland through the proclamation of of this return to uh return to the homeland anyway so it was a really good i think homily about when you, when you feel exiled, know that there's good news to rejoice that God is calling you home, and so go to confession. Is basically yeah basically yeah. No, <clears throat> you know that's an interesting idea, and it's one that I like. When I taught RCIA, I don't know if I ever told you this. I probably did. Uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, when we got to the crucifixion, and I was talking about Pilate and what he wrote over on the cross, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews or Jesus of Nazareth, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like trying to to emphasize to these new, sometimes new Christians, but new Catholics, like what that actually means. Like what do we call a person that writes the good news? An evangelist. Well, an evangelist. Yeah, totally. Even though, he, even though he was doing it mockingly, he was still speaking the truth. 
And there's an interesting thing you just made me think of with the Edict of Cyrus. Like he's in a sense evangelizing. Yeah. <laughs> like giving the people the good news right. uh, that they are able to go home, uh, return yeah. home, return to the promised right. land. And so there's this really wonderful, and uh, and that's what I love that goes throughout the, the there's this string that goes throughout all of the scripture of the proclamation coming from the most unlikely people. That's right. And we're gonna we're gonna see that very much on show um, during Holy Week with the with all of the passion areas, right. you know, all of the right. uh, you know the the centurions that proclaim truly he was the Son of God. You know, like who who would have thought that he would have been the one to say that, or the thieves. Uh, or the good thief on the on the cross. Like so many people are going to kind of show up in a sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and proclaim the good news. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Anyway, I don't really have a direction for that. No, I no, just that's good. That, that was interesting. No, that's good, yeah. And I think that Cyrus is a re- like, like he's a pagan and he is a conqueror, but he is the one that brings liberation and he's an unexpected source of the gospel, of good news. So it's a really cool way of connecting the first reading and the gospel is that the proclamation of the good news brings those in exile back to the promised land. Um, and so we who experience exile hear the good news and come home. Um, right. And it worked out well that tomorrow in the parish, there's a uh, reconciliation service. So uh, I was trying to oh, tie nice. that in a little yeah, bit yeah. for people. Um, Lenten reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so jumping into the fifth week, uh, you got anything off the, off the yeah. bat? Well, so my initial, my gut reaction is, I think, wrong because I want to read this first reading from Jeremiah as specifically talking about the person of Jesus. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is a great messianic prophecy that, you know, the new covenant of the house of Israel will will arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and And there's that wonderful line that Jeremiah uses a couple of times at least where he says, I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be. Right, right. I love that tenderness. And actually, I preached about this the other day when this came up in a daily mass. Like we, you know, we want to maintain our, you know, our um, stereotype of God, the Old Testament God being so angry and full of, you know, wrath and vengeance, etc., but this is a wonderfully tender example, mm. a wonderfully tender moment. Like, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Yeah. No longer will they have need to teach their friends and relatives how to know the Lord, because I will be there. And then, so my, my point of that homily was like, you know, when, we, when we're tempted to, to criticize the angry God, it's probably because of the hardness of our own mm. heart and not the hardness of God's mm. heart. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wonder if there's, a, if there's a, an, an intentionality there, especially as we approach... Um, Holy Week and Good Friday, especially like we need to make sure that we we've we've done the work of looking at that hardness of our own hearts mm. and not to say you know to look at the evil of the world and and blame God yeah. for it, but yeah, to yeah, say yeah, 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 we are in desperate, desperate need of of God so that so that He can say to us, uh, "I will be your God and you will be my yeah. people." Oh, totally. I I like that because there's a. There's, there's a temptation, I think, for there to be like an either or happening where it's like it's either the God of justice and vengeance of the Old Testament or the God of strict law and or the God of the new covenant who is tender and compassionate and full of mercy. Or you can see clearly in, like, as you're saying, with the prophets is that they also are speaking of that same God because he's one God. Uh, and I, right. I think and Jesus himself is also, as we saw a week ago, able to flip tables, you know, and is also able to say that you know, an iota of the law shall not pass away. 
And I think one of the things that I like to think about with the Old Covenant and its transition and giving way to the New Covenant is that it's not a replacement, it's a fulfillment, but it's kind of like like the pedagogy of Revelation, where when you are dealing with children, you can't just say to children, oh, you'll get it, or just go and live life (laughs) as you think is right because the law is on your heart. It's like children need laws. Children need rules. And so when you're beginning in the spiritual life, it's like you need structure, you need order, you need justice, you need strictness, and sometimes you need kind of a heavy hand that will guide you. Um, But the pedagogy will continue to where you can start to say to someone who's mature in the faith, mature in the spiritual life, it's like, but now listen to the voice of God in your own heart as well. Like, now that you have, have it written on stone tablets in front of you, learn to see those stone tablets reflected in your own heart as well. So there's a whole pedagogy here that, like, we've seen it all throughout the Old Testament in during Lent. Like, we've gone from from Abraham all the way now to Jeremiah. It's like God has been slowly working on his people to go from, mm-hmm. you know, the promise of a new land and the stone tablets that we had last week to now the law being on your heart. So there's a whole pedagogy being developed here. Yeah, it's the rising action of the uh, of the season. Right. You know, we're about to have the crescendo at, at uh, well, I wonder if it, we you could call it Let's just say the Triduum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to try to parse it out, but uh, of that Triduum, and then the Easter season is the, you know, resolving, whatever, I'm, I'm not an English <laughs> person. Uh, anyway, uh, but the, I think I think it's important to, to look at it in terms of, you know, this is the narrative that we're seeing. You know, this is salvation history at mm-hmm. work in our lives today. And I think that's exactly what you're, what you're, what you're getting at. You know, St. Paul was very explicit in that. He said, you know, when I was a child, I, I thought as a child, right. I spoke as right. a child. And so we are growing, <laughs> we are developing, we are learning. Right. We have been, it has been revealed to us in a different way now. And so we need to think of it in those different terms. Right. Yeah. I mean, when St. Paul says um, that, like, I have no need for the law, he's not saying that the law is useless. He's saying that, like, you, you, make, you make advancements where the law becomes your way of being. Like, yeah. he doesn't need the right. law because the law is what his heart has become. Like, his heart has right. taken on the shape of that. Um, yeah. And I think that's precisely what the Psalm is getting at, you know, create a clean heart in me, O God, like create Mm -hmm. my heart, Lord, according to your will, according to your law, you know? Um, yeah. And maybe like, maybe there could be a whole homily there about we've made it this far through Lent. Like how, what's the state of your heart? Like God has been working on you Mm -hmm. and he's been fashioning your heart while you were on this journey in the desert. What's the state of your heart? Maybe take take stock of that. You know, how hard is your heart? How clean is your heart? How ready are you to welcome, you know, the resurrection, you know, in your own life? Yeah, that's really cool. I wonder if that's uh, somewhat intentional. You know, okay, so we've just had um, the pink joyful Sunday, and now it's like, okay, it's time to get back to work. How is your heart? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, ha- having done that work. Where are we? And are you prepared for the things that are mm-hmm, to come? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, hmm, hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. So that's that's a thing. I mean, I, I'm not sure how to fit this in with... I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure how to fit it in with the gospel. Uh, all this language of heart is missing from the gospel. Um, I mean, I think the, the one part that I definitely underlined was we would like to see Jesus. Um and yeah. and what maybe there's a connection there with the beatitudes and the and the psalm like a clean heart is necessary to see the lord and so you know blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see god well if you want to see jesus how is your heart 
you know, because he's right in front of them, you know, and he wants, they want to see him, but he's right. In, like, like later, you know, show us the father and Jesus will say to Philip or Thomas or whoever he says it to, like, how long have I been with you that you still do not get yeah. it? And it's like, how, how clean is your heart that you can't see the father through me? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that I think this pr- passage gets overlooked a lot of the time, at least for, I do. I overlook it. Okay. Uh, I kind of do focus on that, <clears throat> excuse me, on that first part where the Greeks and everybody wants to come and talk to Jesus. <clears throat> but like we get kind of a uh, a baptism moment, a transfiguration moment where a voice came from heaven. That's right. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Yeah. Like that's kind of huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like God speaking. And he says, this is not for me, but this is for you. Right. Right. Uh, you know, and I wonder if there is a moment, or not a moment, but a, an opportunity for us to to meditate on what we were talking about. Like, okay, if that's true, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. What does that mean for me as Joe Schmo who can't stop sinning? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, do I just throw my hands up and give up? No, hopefully not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, am I just that grain of wheat that dies and there's, and that's it? Well, no, hopefully not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there, I think it's supposed to be somewhat biting. Yeah. Somewhat, um, somewhat harsh. Right. Right. So that, so that when we get to, so, and it's, man, so that when we get to the crucifixion, not so that we're not surprised when we get to the crucifixion, um, because I think it sh- that also should be a shocking moment. Like, holy moly, what are we mm-hmm, doing? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe so that we can be sh- in awe, in wonderful ju- jubilation mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the resurrection. Right, right. So I mean, yeah. So the glorification of the glorification here is connected to the death that he would die. So like the the cross and the resurrection go together. His glory and his death are united. Right. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that. Like, can you flesh out a little bit more? Like what. What are you driving at? I I mean, yeah, I think I think what you said earlier about, you know, this being kind of a check-in Sunday mm. uh is is what I'm seeing here like, okay, folks, <laughs> the rubber is about to hit the road mm. here. Yeah, yeah. Uh you know, are you ready? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. You know, I think this is the last Sunday before we read the Passion. You know, we read the Passion on on Palm Sunday. So it's like, this is your last chance to ask yourself, like, how will you be one who runs away? Like, how is your heart? Will you be willing yeah. to endure the Passion to, so as to experience the glory of the resurrection? Or will you also abandon me? Will you also leave me? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, think about what Jesus is saying here. I am troubled now. Yet what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it, this was the purpose. So, Father, glorify mm-hmm, your name. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom. Yeah, like we want we want God to come in and take away all of our all of our pain and all, all of our suffering. Uh, but that's not, in a sense. I mean, that would be nice, and that happens, sure. But the purpose here is not so that we can be happy. <laughs> the purpose here is so that God's name may be glorified. Right, right. which will only happen through Good Friday, through the Passion, um, yes. which leads to the yes. resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. It makes you wonder, or makes me wonder at least, like, what were these Greeks looking for? Like, were they yeah. looking for wisdom, or were they looking for the cross? 
um, hmm. you know, what St. Paul said to us last week or two weeks ago. It's like the Greeks asked for wisdom, you know, and this is folly. The cross is folly for Greeks. Um, I don't think anybody was expecting the cross. Yeah, no, totally. So, <laughs> Except Jesus. Right, and so it's just kind of an interesting mention here of the Greeks, you know, is that why are the Greeks yeah. coming? Like, St. Paul is going to say very clearly that the Greeks are the ones who say that the cross is folly, it's foolishness, you know? Uh-huh. Um And so it's kind of interesting that they are put here right at the very end is that the Greeks are looking for Christ. They want to see him. But according to what worldview, like, are they looking for Jesus as a philosopher or are they looking for Jesus, the redeemer? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what gospel is this, uh, John. Yeah. I don't know if we're, if we're making a specific statement about, about Greeks as Greeks or just here are people from all over coming to the foot, to the feet of Mm. Jesus. Like the world is recognizing at here at the end, before the hour has come, the world is recognizing that there is something different about this man, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't I, know if that's right. I like the idea. That's of, the sense that I well, get. Well, I like leaving it in terms of the Greeks, just because I think I could build a whole homily around. I mean, it'd be great if we had that reading from Corinthians, where you have like what's on full display here is that the glorification of the Father comes through the death of Christ, and so that is foolishness for Greeks who look for wisdom, you know? And so the Greeks are brought into the picture here because they may be looking for wisdom. And so if I ask you, how is your heart? It's like the measure of how your heart is doing is how willing it is to stay at the foot of the cross, not how consoled it is by high lofty philosophy or by, by new ways of seeing, you know, human flourishing as the Greeks would find. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I think there's an interesting thing you could do there with a whole homily about if I'm asking you after five weeks of being in Lent, like, how is your heart doing? What are you looking for? Maybe another way of asking that question. It's like, if what you've been doing for five weeks lets you answer that what you're looking for is just, you know, conquering my addiction to a certain uh, food or a certain habit um, (laughs) or overcoming a certain um, temptation in my life, as I promised during Ash Wednesday, is that what you're looking for? Like, are you just looking for asceticism or are you looking for the cross? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I want to make my checklist and I want it to be impressive. And I want, when I get to the pearly gates, I want St. Peter to say, Ooh, you really nailed that lens. Yeah. And I guess Come that's my in. point. Like, that sounds like, that sounds like, like the Greeks, you know, and I love Greek philosophy, yeah. but that sounds a little bit like the Pelagianism of the Greeks, where it's like mastery of self through asceticism without any surrender to the mystery of the cross. Yeah. You know, and so. Well, and I think. Yeah, and I think that's what Jesus is is getting at there in that in that line that I mentioned. Like it's not about me being saved, it's about the glory of God's mm-hmm, name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it is about me being saved. Okay. But you get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, anyway, I mean I think I would go that would be my final thought is I think I would probably try and go that way without being too lofty but just trying to maybe encourage people to say that all of your nice abstaining this lent has been beautiful, but has it gotten you actually ready for the crucifixion or Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think that's a really good, and it and it goes again with your with your you know your check in yes um, theme. Like, what good is it? You know, our penances for for confession don't save you. It's the grace right, of God that right, saves right, right. you. The penances are there for you to, um, in a sense, to to take ownership of, of replanting virtue. I think I used this example last week of replanting virtue where vice has been ripped out. Like, and that's good. That's a good practice, but ultimately (laughs) it's not your work that is, that is going to, to end up in your salvation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
um, it's the work of the cross. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, if your abstinence and if your fasting is not getting you ready for the crucifixion, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're yeah, doing it wrong. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. And I think we should be that uh, that blunt. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, man. That's no all problem. I got. You got any final thought? That's it. Go pray. All right, dude. Peace. <laughs>